Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops, a former D1 hooper and current teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids. And I'm Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. And of course, we are blessed to always be joined by our producer, Wes Davenport, who has been with us for all 100 episodes. Omari, this is amazing that we have made it this far. Wes has been through it all. He was going with me all the way back to the Motor City Hoops days. Omari, it was just over two years ago that I reached out with a random DM saying, hey, what are the chances the beat writer for the Detroit Free Press would want to join Motor City Hoops on the podcast? And of course, it took a little longer than what we wanted, but eventually it became the Pistons Pulse brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. This has been an awesome journey. This is by no means the ends, guys, but I do think we need to settle here for a second and just enjoy and appreciate what we've done and how far we've come. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, man. Uh, we met for the first time at Summer League in 2022, it was, right? Or no, it was 2021. And yeah, I mean, I just remember thinking like, yeah, this is a really well-organized podcast. Like I do a lot of podcasts and, you know, I was probably the, the best one I had done as far as the local guys. So, you know, it was just a no-brainer then. And 100 episodes later, it's remained a no-brainer the entire time. It's been fun. It's honestly hard to believe it's been 100 episodes already, you know, it feels just been more like 40 or 50, which just shows how fast time flies. But big thanks to everybody who's followed us along. I know we have some day one listeners who are listening to this one. So this meant a lot. And the team's not doing too good right now, but people are still tuning in. So we <laughs> deeply appreciate that. I know we're going to visit the New Year's resolutions we had for this team and individuals last year, 12 months ago. And we'll do new ones here in a few weeks, Amari. I know part of what we had envisioned for the pod was doing a live show, Amari. And since we did that, we've done a live show. We went to Hopcat in Detroit. We recorded live. That was amazing. We've done all sorts of amazing things. And it's just, I can't thank everybody enough. You, Amari, for believing in what we are doing. And then now we've become great friends along with everything we are as co-hosts. Wes doesn't get nearly the recognition he deserves. Robin Chan, we, we shout Robin Chan out at the end of every episode, Amari. And I don't know if people are still listening at that point. So I want to give Robin some love here at the beginning. He has fully bought into this podcast, done a, all sorts of things. I don't want to like put it all out there because he may not want it all out there, but gone above and beyond what an audio producer does. And then obviously everybody else higher up in the free press just with their support and resources. I just want to give a quick shout out to everybody. A hundred episodes is something I think we all should be super proud of. And then of course, the listeners, everybody that's rated, reviewed, subscribed, even the bad ratings all the way back to the first one star <laughs> we got because there was too much time between the trailer and the first episode. I know I'm reminiscing here a little bit, Omari, but I I think it's okay. The Pistons have lost 20 straight games. We can reminisce on our success here a little bit before we get going with the rest. And Travis, Pistons have lost 20 straight because Bryce won't eat the peanut butter Lay's sandwich. I refuse to go. talk about food. Nope. I refuse to talk about food on this podcast anymore. So Amari, what, what, do you, what, what else do you think about all of this? I think there's no way to signify episode 100 and for peanut butter and Lay's sandwich. <laughs> So Wes, keep building on the momentum. I'm telling you, I'm not going to talk about it. Keep building on the momentum. I feel like we've done that. Get on YouTube. We did that. That was one of our New Year's resolutions. Obviously, mm -hmm. we're going live right now. Been super successful recently. Get merchandise. We've done that. We all have our own merch and, and you guys can go get that anytime and then do the live record in April. So we crushed the New Year's resolution, Amari. We did everything that we had talked about and that we wanted to do. So I want to give this attention right here. We finally got a new rating on Apple. Those have been coming in a little bit slow, but this is from P. Diddy MSU. Love the podcast. I listen every Wednesday and get up to speed on your observations that I might not otherwise pick up on as a casual fan. 
I like the balance, breaking down the analytics and your honest opinions. It's been a frustrating year as a Pistons fan, but I appreciate the acknowledgement of what the team is last lacking, but also where there's still something positive to look for as a fan. So thank you for that rating, that review. I think we're 4.9 on Apple and Spotify, Amari. So we're doing a few things right, at least it looks like. No doubt. I mean, just seeing how steady the rating has been this entire time has been funny, even though we started off with a slow start because, again, we got a, a bad review because we didn't launch on their timeline. I thought we were pretty clear in that first uh, teaser, like, hey, we're going to launch on this day. And they were like, you didn't launch soon enough. So I'm completely out. So hopefully we got that fan back. But it's just awesome, man. Like, really is awesome. Like, I said it before, but uh, I was not like a podcast guy, I guess, quote unquote, before this pod. Like, I listened here and there. I'd done uh, guest spots here and there, but I never just had a weekly pod. And just to do this over the last, I guess, year and nine months now, going on two years coming up this upcoming February, uh, it's been something I look forward to every week. You know, it's been awesome, you know, just developing this friendship with Bryce and Wes and, you know, the meals we've shared and just the laughs and whatnot. And it's been awesome. It's been awesome. I'm a fully converted podcast guy. And, you know, now we're in triple digits. So let's see how far we can keep this thing going, right? Yeah. I mean, listen, December 2020, I became a Pistons fans doing the podcast and I never thought it would take me to here doing this. And then I'll just say all of the other opportunities it's opened up for me, all the experiences we've had. So, all right. I'm sure people are tired of listening to all that. Let's talk about the yeah. two and 21. I don't know. Maybe people want us to reminisce the whole episode and just have some fun with that. Some good vibes. But Pistons are two and 21, Amari. 20 game losing streak. I want to mention the Spurs should be thanking the Pistons right now because nobody's talking about their record or their losing streak while the Pistons are currently on this, and rightfully so. But, I mean, where, where are we at? I think since our last recording, Amari, we have the Pistons losing to the Grizzlies, the Magic, and the Pacers. I have a few specific things we can get into before we get into the New Year's resolution stuff later on in the episode. Just where are you at right now as this team has lost 20 straight games and it just doesn't seem like they can figure out how to actually win a basketball game in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, whatever expectations we had before the season, I've just been thoroughly crushed, uh, discarded, <laughs> like just throwing the whole draft out. You have to just restart, I think, in some ways as far as just the evaluation of where this team is in the process of the rebuild. I think that at no part of any rebuild do you want to lose 20 straight. You know, shout out to the Spurs. Like you said, they lost 17. I think they just had their franchise record. And on Twitter, I just see Wimby highlights. I haven't really seen the <laughs> attention that the Pistons have gotten for That's this. It. And I had a few people on Twitter say, well, it's different for them because they're in year one of a rebuild. And I'm like, well, at any stage of a rebuild, even year one, you don't want to lose 20, like 17 straight, let alone 20. But going back to the Pistons, it just really has, you know, I think forced all of this to reevaluate, you know, the roster, the fit, you know, why got certain guys haven't taken off the way we expected or if maybe certain players were just misevaluated, you know, to begin with. And then, you know, Monty, you know, just his evolution from day one and until now. Uh, it's funny, like a lot of the things he's doing now are things that, you know, people on Twitter have kind of wanted from the start, like playing Jaden Ivey and Asara at the four, Stu Smallball five, but... It seems like they're making incremental progress toward getting over this hump. And they've had a few wins that were literally just if they had got a few more open threes to fall, they probably would have won. So, I mean, 20 straight losses is just like, I don't know if there's any upside to that or any silver lining. But, you know, I would say if nothing else, I still feel on some level that this team is too good to be losing this much. And if not turn things around, at least put some more wins up before the year's up. All right. I'm going to throw out some stats, team stats. We've done this essentially every episode. And I want to continue with it because I just think it's interesting to just see. So obviously 2-21, and 21, they are 27th in offensive rating, Amari. 25th in defensive rating. They're ninth in pace. Like I always want to be like, they need to play faster. And then I look at that number every single week when we do this and it's still higher than what I think. 20th in free throw rate, 29th in three-point attempt rate. Here's the numbers that stand out to me, Omari. They are 28th in three-point attempts. They are 24th in free throw attempts. They are 29th in opponent's free throw attempts. And then they are 29th in turnovers and 29th in forcing turnovers. This is a team that does not shoot a lot of threes, does not get to the free throw line a lot, turns it over a bunch, and then it allows their opponents to get to the free throw line a lot and does not force them into turnovers. I just feel like 
a couple of those things need to change. And we haven't seen it. Maybe the personnel isn't there. What kind of overarching stats or anything like that are still standing out to you as we're 23 games into the season? You know, it's when you put it that way, like that's exactly what I think the eye test shows. And I saw so an advanced stats nightmare. Not enough threes, not enough free throws. Every team gets a lot of free throws and a lot of fast break points. You know, like I think that's just a disaster, you know, as far as, you know, putting a product on the floor that can win, like you're doing everything that's almost antithetical, not just to winning, but also just the way the modern NBA is played. It's not like you're making up for those lack of three-point attempts at the rim. Uh, so all of that clearly is pretty problematic. Um, I think I'm surprised by their pace being knife because they do not feel yeah. like a team that plays fast. And I haven't checked, but if I were to check, my guess would be that they play even faster than knife in the first three quarters. And then that pace grinds to a halt in the fourth and that drags it back down. But that would be my guess because a consistent theme throughout this entire stretch is that it's not like they're just playing 48 minutes of bad basketball. Like they've had a couple yep. stinkers, but for the most part, the losses have not been as bad as the final scores have su- suggested. The team just has these awful dry spells that just completely demoralizes them and destroys any destroys all the progress they had through the first three quarters. And we've seen that a lot. So I would guess that I actually did look this up a few days ago uh, that they're even worse offensively in the fourth than they are in the first three. Like they already don't have a great offense, but that offense becomes even worse <laughs> in the final 12 minutes. Like the offensive rating is like 105 or something, which is just really awful. So overall, I think it paints a picture of a team that just lacks discipline and they lack late game execution. And I think you couple that with just the fact that the NBA is just ups- absurdly talented. I mean, you look at every single team that you've got an all-star caliber guy, you know, outside of maybe a couple teams. But I just think the, the talent level in the NBA is such that the teams at the bottom, like the Wizards, like the Spurs, like the Pistons, the Wizards haven't had that long of a streak, but they're still right there as far as win-loss record. And I tweeted this the other day, but just for one team to have a 20-game losing streak and the other to have a 17-game losing streak, before we're at the 25-game mark of the season, like these are, hap- these are happening concurrently. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it just shows that it's getting harder and harder each year to like break into that middle class, and you pretty much just need a bona fide star to do it. Indiana, they have Tyrese Halliburton. Like, e- even a Grizzlies have a defensive player of the year in Jaron, and then Desmond Bain, who put up, I think, 49 or four, like 40-something. He had the best game of his career to kind of lift that squad, which otherwise really did not have the depth to compete as well as they did. So I'm not excusing the Pistons there. But again, if you don't have that type of talent, I just think it's really hard to win. And Pistons just haven't had the leaps they've needed from certain guys to fill that gap. Michael Powell brings up something I kind of wanted to get into. And we're going to get into individual players in a second. Because again, we did a New Year's resolution and we have one for all of almost all of the current players on the roster that were on the team last year, obviously. And we'll talk about those guys. But Michael Powell says that fans expect too much from this Monty .5 offense he ran in Phoenix, even though we don't have a D book in CP3. I've had this conversation with people kind of offline, Omari, in terms of I don't see the remblance of that. Like it seems like a lot of ball screen stuff and relying on isolation. You don't see a whole lot of just the ball movement, catch, attack and closeout, catch, you know, all of this. Maybe it's the personnel. Maybe it's not that easy to implement. Like I've played at a high level. I've never played in the NBA. I don't know the complete intricacies of an NBA offense or how long it takes to pick it up. Maybe Monty's trying to work it in slowly. I will admit, I'm a tad disappointed, Omari, that we haven't kind of seen at least what I thought we were going to see. Maybe I had the wrong vision. Maybe I had the wrong idea. Where are you at with the offense? We've talked a lot about what the struggles are, but did you kind of expect to see something that at least looked a little bit different, even if the shots weren't going in or the results weren't there? I did expect them to be better than they've been. And I think a lot of that expectation was built around K, you know, of course, making the the leap or not even just a leap, but just coming back even after missing most of last season. And I think a lot of that early on just got derailed by the injuries, like not having bogey uh, for the team is pretty killer, you know, especially co-current with Jaden Ivey not really playing a lot of minutes early on. I think he played like 13 in that first game or second game. Like those two things, I think, just really taxed Cade a lot more than he needed to be. And uh, this team just got off to a really bad start. I mean, you look at that first week and they were 2-1, uh, you know, so I think that was probably more of a, a 
Mirage, honestly, they really competed in those three games, but it seems like they got solved pretty quick, right? Like teams just said, let's just blitzcade all night and they can't do anything else. And yeah, like it does not surprise me watching this team. Like the offense has been that bad, but coming in, I think you would probably expected them to have more dynamic players on that end. And they've just now got to the point in like the last week where you have Cade and Boyan playing, but also Jaden Ivey's being uh, more of a focal point in the offense. And I think that's what they need, just to have a chance most nights. So watching this team, it doesn't surprise me, but coming into the season, it seems like they had all the ingredients. Even the three-point shooting is surprising, right? Like, certain them only be 28 or 29th in attempts. Uh, but Alec Burks is this time, boy, on like the guys who really just kind of get threes up quickly up and out. And you have a lot of reluctant shooters in their wake. So I would think two months from now that they'd probably be a little bit higher in that category. But even so, it kind of just goes back to what I said, where I just think we misevaluated some rows and then the injuries on top of that just really amplified everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we're going to talk about that, how we misevaluate. As we talk through the individuals, we're going to be able to talk about how things were misevaluated. Before we go to break and before we get into individual players, where are you at with this rotation right now, Amari? Because I feel like Monty is playing around with it now. We've seen Ivy in the starting lineup, then out of the starting lineup. I think Boyan is solidly in the starting lineup. Duran rolled his ankle, so obviously he's back out. We saw Stu start at the five. We saw Asar out of the starting lineup and then back in, playing at the four. I thought he looked really good at the four, as you alluded to earlier. Where are you kind of at with the lineup? And I also just want to say this, and you can speak on it if you want or not. I get very frustrated seeing Cade and Boyan sit so many minutes together mm. within a game, especially if you don't believe in Ivy. And we'll get to Ivy because I'm at the point, like, I'm by, if you want to sell your Ivy stock, I'll buy all of it. I think Jaden Ivy is really good. I've just decided on that. Like, it was making me question it. That dude pressures the rim. But anyway, if you don't think he's that dude, you have to stagger Cade and Boyan. So just where are you kind of at with, the lineups, we saw Sasser and, well, Joe Harris was already injured. So Sasser out of the lineup. Where are you kind of at with some of this stuff? It seems like it's just now getting to the point to where it needs to be. Some of that's deflated. And, you know, of course, they still don't have Bagley or Duran. But I thought last night specifically against the Pacers was probably the first night that the rotation looked the way it probably needs to look, where you mentioned that they were sitting Boyan and Kate at the same time a lot. And like that absolutely crushed them against Orlando. Like they started off pretty strong. I think they were up 18 11 or something like that. And then they both sit to finish the first quarter. And then Orlando just takes control and they never let go from there. And we've seen that that happened against Memphis. We've seen it happen repeatedly where this team just can't stay afloat with both of those guys on the bench. So last night, the coaching staff adjusted. They took Boyan out midway through the first, left Kate in. And then Boyan ended up coming back in later. And I think Kate checked out early in the second. And they staggered both of those guys in the first half, which, you know, I thought was a big reason why Indiana couldn't escape. But they led by 10, but the Pistons kept working it back down until the end pretty much. But in the second half, he did sit both Cade and Boyan at the end of the third quarter. And at that point, Jaden Ivey was already well on his way to a pretty solid night. And Ivey essentially ran the show at that point. And I think Killian was still in and you had some shooters around him, but they functioned pretty well. Like they didn't take the lead, but I think the lead was like a six-point deficit when Cade and Boyan sat. And when they checked back in at the beginning of the fourth, it was still a six-point deficit. So they tread water, but to me, that just shows progress in the sense that <laughs> you didn't have to check Cade and Boyan back and now you're facing like a 15-point deficit like what's happened in the past few weeks. So I think with that, you play Isaiah Stewart at the five more and you know we'll probably talk a little bit about him at power forward. Yep. But uh, I think it's become more and more apparent as the season is going on, that while Isaiah can play the four, uh, he's probably more of a floor spacing five at this point, uh, as far as just the impact. And I think that really helped out Cade as far as uh, he got to the rim repeatedly. I know Indiana's not a good defensive team, but still, you don't see that too often. They still have Miles Turner down there. Uh, so it just seems like Monty's starting to figure out how to utilize certain guys. Like he's starting to maybe trust more guys than he did early on. And I don't want to say during it Bagley being out is a blessing in disguise, but I do think that that allowed for you know, Stu to stretch the floor at the five and 
James Wiseman was even solid. You know, I thought he probably had one of his better games. But along with that, I just think we're getting to the point to where guys are starting to figure out where they're most effective and Monty's starting to dial in on that a little bit harder. Yeah, I mean, I remember a specific play where, I don't know if it was Cade got to the rim or Cade Nassar ran a pick and roll or something like that. Somebody got downhill and it's like, dang, the lane was wide open. Well, Mm -hmm. Stu was at the five standing at the top of the key and Miles Turner was actually respecting it enough where the downhill drive was there. I I, I don't want to get too much into the individual guys because we're about to do that after the break. Before we go to the break, Will J says, great show as usual. I have to drop off. I'll listen tomorrow while at work. My question is, if this losing streak extends at 30 games, how can Troy Weaver or Coach Williams keep their job? Will J, appreciate you. Love you. Appreciate the support. We are not touching a 30-game losing streak. I do not want to discuss that. Things are negative enough as they is. Things are down enough as they are. We do not need to touch a 30 game losing streak and what the ramifications are of that so we appreciate you hope you enjoy listening to the rest of the episode tomorrow at work but we're going to go to a short break right here when we come back Omari let's start our new year's resolution reviews with Kate Cunningham Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back with segment two, and we are going to review our resolutions from around this time last year. And it's funny, like, even though the team has probably been way worse than any of us ever could have expected this season, I feel like our New Year's resolutions were still pretty good. You know, like, I'm looking at them, and I feel pretty good about what we came up with. How about you, Bryce? Yeah, no, I went through it today, and I was like, okay, like, I feel like we were pretty spot on with what we needed to see. It was interesting to look back and be like, okay, what did we think? The Troy Weaver one is really interesting at the end. I think that will be fun conversation. So we'll make sure we get there. Kate Cunningham's was health and shooting. And I I mean, I will say this, Kate Cunningham has been healthy. Like with, I'm going to critique Kate a little bit in this because I have super high expectations for Kate Cunningham and, and he has done some really good things. The one thing I will say is, We have seen him play a lot of minutes. I believe he's played in every single game. And so that is huge coming off an injury that he had last year where he only played 12. I think he played 64 in his rookie season. So I do think that is huge that we have seen Cade not resting on back-to-backs, not having to sit out games, not on anything like that. It seems like the decision to have the surgery was the right one. And I think at the very least, we're getting a fully healthy Cade, even if he is still getting his legs back just in general a little bit. So I do think that's a positive thing that came out. And that was one thing that we wanted to see coming into the year. No, absolutely. He has been healthy. It doesn't seem like the leg has been bothering him. And that's just a huge positive in and of itself. You know, when you have a guy that missed 70 games in the second season, it comes back and looks pretty good. The efficiency, you know, it's not necessarily quite there yet, but I will note that it seems like he's gotten better as the season has gone on. I'm looking at his last 14 games here, and he's shooting 43.1%, 34 from three, uh, 92 at the line, uh, 7.4 assists, and 3.5 turnovers. So the assist turnover ratio is a little bit better than it was early on. The efficiency is up a little bit. Uh, he's still not really hitting threes at the pace you would want to see him hit, you know, and that's been maybe a l- little con- concerning. But I think as he plays more off ball and he gets better licks, that should uh, be helped a little bit. But overall, I mean, the main thing, we got half of it, right? We got the health aspect of it. The shooting aspect has not come around yet. And I feel like I agree in the sense that I can't necessarily figure out where he is as a shooter. Like, is he a guy that's always going to be just kind of okay as a shooter? Can he just become a really consistent knockdown off-ball guy? Will he ever really get back to the step back and some of the things we saw as a rookie, which we haven't really seen this season as much? Like, he did have that pull-up against the Miami Heat on on opening night late that, you know, I think brought them within one. But there been as many self-created threes this season either. So some of that stuff may come as the year goes on. But at the very least, we can pat ourselves on the back for 
the health aspect because he has had that. He has had that. So his three-point shooting throughout his three years, 31% on 5.7 as a rookie, 28 point, 28% on 5.1 last year, obviously 12 games, 34% on six, as you said. He's 37% on all catch-and-shoot three-pointers. He is 44% on unguarded catch-and-shoot three-pointers. So when he gets an unguarded look, he's shooting it pretty well. 28% on dribble threes, which is what is kind of concerning to me. He has this left lean at times when he's really moving, and I just can't truly figure out what I believe with this three-point shot. 10 to 16 feet. So if you go inside the three-point line, Amari, those percentages are up, but from 16 feet to the three-point, his percentages is down. Here's what I want to ask. What do you think ends up being Cade's elite scoring ability? Like what level does he end up being elite at? He has gotten better at the rim. Those numbers are better. I believe I have those as well as they've improved year over year, 59 to 56 to 64. So it took a little dip, but up to 64 this year, zero to three feet. Is it the mid range? Cause like at one point in his career, I think that's what we may have thought that it was going to be a mid range. You think the three point shooting eventually comes around. Like I want to see Cade be elite as a scorer at one of these levels, and I'm not sure I can pinpoint which one it is yet. I could see him becoming pretty elite from mid-range. I think his mid-range bag is pretty good, whether it's the pull-up or the step back. He seems to be pretty comfortable operating there. I just feel like the way he plays on offense sometimes reminds me of Paul Pierce, and Paul Pierce was always good from mid-range, so I'm just sticking with that. He's been compared to like less athletic. DeMar DeRozan, too, and of course, DeMar is really good from mid-range. So I think that that's just for case most comfortable. And because of that, I feel most comfortable projecting him as that eventually being his bread and butter. I don't know if he'll ever just be like an elite guy around the rim. You know, I think that his at-rim percentage and his three-point percentage are intertwined and he has to be, become a really good shooter uh, for those lanes to open. Because the reality is just that the lanes aren't always going to be there depending on who's around him. And you can't depend solely on that. So he's got to be able to weaponize his own three. And he hasn't quite been there yet. Sometimes he drives and he kind of gets stuck. He could probably be more proactive sometimes with just kicking the ball out or knowing where he's going before he drives. But for me, it's it's mid-range. I think that that's where we've seen the most promise so far and uh, seems to be where he's most comfortable as well. But what about you, Bryce? Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'm still trying to figure out. At one point, I thought he was going to yeah. be like a mid-range assassin and I haven't felt as much that way. I just, I would like to see one where he just really hits. Like via Synergy, he's good, but not very good or excellent in any of these play types, shot types. And so that's where it just got me thinking. I'm like, okay, where is he going to be elite at? And I'm not saying he has to be right now. I'm just wondering what the path is. And then the other thing I'll say is in all three game notes I had for the past three games, and it goes back even further, I want to see Cade be better defensively. I want to see it. Boyan is there taking some usage now. Some of the offensive load is off him. I want to see Cade Cunningham be better defensively. One of the reasons I thought he was absolutely the number one pick in the draft was this all-around package of great intangibles, good offensive player, could pass, but also was going to be a rebounder in this defensive player. I realize there's plenty of other guys on this team to nitpick defensively, but I want to see that from Cade Cunningham as well. And I know we had a comment about the fourth quarters. The fourth quarter quarters have been a struggle for Cade. It's very interesting. I wonder if he's getting used to all of that usage, all of those minutes, but the numbers don't lie. The fourth quarter has not been good, has not been kind to Cade this year, but I do want to see Cade be better defensively. I want to see that grow throughout this season. No doubt. You know, I think Maybe he's gotten in his own head a little bit. It seems like this team has gotten into that as a whole, but it seems like they're relying on Cade a lot late. And a lot of his worst turnovers, I mean, honestly, I've been in the fourth quarter. Uh, he even had one last night where he just kind of gave the ball up. And I'm not really sure what's going on there. It just seemed like he was a lot better in those scenarios as a, a rookie. And again, he missed a lot of time. He could just be working off some rust. So I guess we'll have to see on that. But I think beyond just the playmaking aspect, you do want to see signs like, hey, you know, could at least be that number two guy. And as Boyan gets healthier and as Ivy gets more ingrained into the offense, perhaps we'll see the knock-on effect where Kate is able to kind of play out for those guys a bit more and get those easy looks. Because last night he really did probably have his easiest time all year getting to the, the bucket. And I don't think it's any coincidence that that's also uh, one of the few games this season where uh, Isaiah's played the five the entire time. All right. So as you talk about getting to the bucket, 
I want to talk about the guy who I think does it the best on this team. And that is Jaden Ivey. And our New Year's resolution for him almost 12 months ago was turnovers and improve the process. Stop predetermining decisions. So per 100 possessions, because we can't really do minutes, a lot of these guys you can do minutes because like their minutes have stayed the same. So you just look at their averages. Not the case with Jaden Ivey right now. Per 100 possessions, his turnovers are down from 5 to 3.8. I should note, that his assists are also down by 2.6 per 100. I feel like we've talked about this, but I feel like we've seen this, that Jay Nivey has improved his process this year. He's been able to slow down. He's made better decisions. He's not perfect. It seems like one time a game, he just like loses the ball. It's really yeah. weird. Like just doesn't catch it. It just slips through his hands. <laughs> we've talked about the finishing at the rim, but I do think what we were looking for, I do feel like we've seen it. I think so. Like, he just looks so much more in control on his drives. It seems like he has a better handle on just how fast he is, which was an issue last season. It seemed like he would just get, he would speed himself up too much and then he would lose his handle or he would just whiff a layup after getting open. And we haven't seen him do either of those things as much. The playmaking hasn't been there as much. I mean, he hasn't had the ball as much, so that's pretty understandable. And I think the three-point shooting has been disappointing. He's at 30.5% right now, and he actually started off pretty good, and that's really fallen off, you know, so I don't know how much of that is factored into, like, his role so far. Like, did Monty just have questions about his three-point shooting? Like, I know he mentioned the, the defense and whatnot, but beyond that, I mean, he's shooting 48.4% and 81.8% at the line, and both of those are just significantly better than last season. I mean, his inside the arc and free throw line efficiency are both way, way up. And that's what you want to see. Like, that's his, his role. Like, he's a downhill scorer. The shooting aspect would have been nice, but I think we kind of knew coming in that that would be something that came and went. Like, he needs to probably polish that up. But his finishing has just been way better. Like, it looks like the game has slowed down for him a lot. And the fact that his field goal percentage is still so high despite shooting 30% from three on six attempts just speaks to how efficient he's been in, inside the arc. Yeah, it's crazy. His field goal percentage is up even while the three-point percentage is down. Here's the stat where I still hold out some hope. He's 42% on guarded catch-and-shoot threes, Amari. Mm -hmm. 42% on guarded ones. He's 25% right now on the unguarded catch-and-shoot threes. So, you know, if, if that's what he is, then yeah, we have some issues. He was really good on unguarded catch-and-shoot three-pointers last year. And so I just feel like that's a little bit of anomaly right now. Now, we're 20-plus games in, so I, I can't just stand behind that completely, but I would like to see what it is in another 20 games. If at 41 games, he's still shooting 25% on unguarded, he's never going to be a 40% three-point shooter. All Jay Ivey has to do is shoot well enough that people respect it and then let his first step and everything else take over from there. Like, I, I literally text Wes today. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I think Jay Nivey is awesome. I think Jay Nivey is really good. I've kind of tried to hold it in because I'm like, maybe I'm wrong here. Maybe Monty and the organization or whoever, maybe I misevaluated him. Maybe he wasn't very good. I know there's some things defensively. I think he's made strides. He has some at least flashes of being good defensively. He pressures the rim like nobody else on the team. Nobody else gets to the rim as easy as Jay Nivey. I'm at the point, Omari, I don't even care if he starts anymore. I don't. Whatever. I, I don't care. I want to see Jaden Ivey play 30 minutes a night. That's what I want to see for Jaden Ivey the rest of the year because I think the kid is really darn good. No, I mean, he really is good. He was the fifth overall pick for a reason. And I think a lot of people saw the potential for him to emerge as one of the best players in his class. And yeah, I mean, again, the efficiency is there. Like, that's just a huge improvement for him this season. Uh, there was a play last night, like, just going back to his ability to get to the rim. The clock wound down. There's probably like four seconds on the shot clock. They hit Jaden at the top of the key. He rests for a split second and it just takes one step and just completely blows past his defender and lays it in. And that's the type of half-court creation that they really need. You know, Cade is just not the type of guy who's going to pressure the rim to that extent in half-court scenarios. And that's fine. Uh, but you need somebody else who can do that, especially with Durant out. And Ivy, I mean, again, like you just have to tap into that speed, like that zero to 100 with one step. No uh, one on the team really has that. And uh, we're talking about the three-pointed tips getting open. Yeah, like punish defenses for, you know, like just make it tough for defenses, right? Like make them collapse. Like don't just allow them to pack the uh, paint. So I think that along with their shooters coming back should help this offense uptick a little bit. I don't know if it'll ever be leave average this season, but they have the pieces for it to be better than it is right now. 
I mean, I don't want people to take this the wrong way because I, I just asked about like, what is Cade's elite way to score? And I think he's still figuring out. I, I still think Cade is going to be an unbelievable player in this league. We said from day one that Jay Nivey had an elite first step coming into the NBA. And there's something about that that just helps you just find your way. Let's talk about Killian Hayes. I don't want to talk about Killian Hayes because I hate talking about Killian Hayes because you can't ever talk about him rationally because you just get bombarded by both sides of stands and haters. When I go on other podcasts and they ask me about Killian Hayes, I literally refuse to talk about him. I go on the Knicks, the Cavs, whoever. I don't want to talk about Killian, but it is part of what we do here. So ours was consistency and confidence. Where do you think Killian Hayes is with his consistency and confidence in this season for the Detroit Pistons? They've both been way up. You know, his confidence, like pretty much from the start, uh, seems like Monty's really kind of taken to him and instilled in him that we want you to play like a starter. We need you on this team. We need your playmaking. We need your uh, size in that backcourt and we need you to be steady. And he's been that, uh, he's been the most efficient passer on the team that, as we talked about earlier, has really struggled with taking care of the ball. Uh, he actually has his, the lowest turnover rate of his career uh, this season, which I think is really impressive, especially considering just all the injury issues and he has net shooters and whatnot. But I think along with that, uh, we're, he's played 22 games this season. The three-point is not there. Like he's shooting 31% on 2.6 attempts. They haven't even emphasized the three with him this season the way that they did with Dwayne in, in past seasons. But with that, he is shooting 43.9% overall, which is not only a pretty good percentage for a point guard in general, like pretty solid. It's also the best of his career by a pretty high margin because I think his previous high was like 38.3. And that's way up. And a lot of that is one, the mid-range has really been falling for him. And we're four foot away through the year, so I'd be curious to see if he maintains that for the entire season. But that mid-range jumper has been falling consistently <laughs> pretty much since, I think he was a little cold to start the year, but that mid-range has been really good for him. And we saw flashes of that last year, but it seems like he's really kind of doubled down on that. And now he can hit the step back and the dribble pull up, and he's got a little bit more there. But along with that, he's also been better at the rim, uh, like substantially better at the rim the past seasons to the point that uh, even if he doesn't drive a lot, he's pretty effective when he's done it. I mean, we've seen him finish through contact. And kind of weirdly, like, he's regressed a lot as a free throw shooter. Like, I don't know why that is, because that's been, like, the one thing that's been consistent for him shooting-wise uh, since he came into the league. But everything else has been there. I mean, he's been consistent. He's been confident. And when you look at the issues on this team, I think Killian Hayes is pretty far down the list. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I think he's been consistent. Now, what is that? It's not a starting NBA guard. Like, that's the problem right now. And that's why the Pistons have lost. Hold on. Let me let me step back. That's not why they've lost. That is part of why is because you're having to start Killian Hayes along with a myriad of other issues as well. If Killian Hayes was the fourth guard on this team or the fifth guard, like a lot of us thought coming into the season, and he was doing what he's doing right now, I think it's fine. I think he has consistently played at a level that is a backup guard in the NBA. And yes, Tone, I, I, I see you in the comments and, and you want to call us out and all. Listen, we don't answer to anybody. I have no reason. I live in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. I don't have access to these guys. It's not like it's, it's going to stop my access. We are talking like he's a bench player. He's getting 30 minutes because there's nobody else to play because Monte Morris is hurt right now. And I'm sorry, I love Marcus Sasser. I love Marcus Sasser. I don't think he's been particularly great. So even if he needed to rest and just regain some confidence for a little bit, I understand playing Killian Hayes. So I don't think Killian Hayes is a starting NBA guard. I don't want to see him starting on this team, even necessarily this year. Definitely not whenever we come back next year. I don't even know if he'll be on the Pistons. But we ask for improvement. We ask for consistency. We ask for confidence. I think he has done those things. He is consistently a fourth or fifth guard on an NBA team. That's what I think about Killian Hayes right now. I don't think he should be punted to the moon. I don't think he should be starting in the starting lineup. I think it's okay to think he's somewhere in the middle. That's where I'm at. It sounds like that's probably a little bit where you're at as well, Amari. Yeah, I'm there too. Like, to me, he is, like, at this point, a really solid uh, backup guard, like maybe a Ricky Rubio type or a Cameron Payne, like just somebody who can just keep things afloat uh, when the starters are out. Uh, he's been leaning on a lot early this season. Of course, he started the majority of their games. And as a, I'm a, a starter, I mean, again, I still stand by, look at the team and, 
I think he's been fine, right? Like he's done what he's been asked to do. You know, and if maybe he's playing too many minutes or that could go to somebody else, like that's not a reflection on Killian. It's just a reflection of how he's being used in this offense. But um, he really has improved overall. I mean, he's not a great scorer, but he scored the ball well enough that I think you could play him late in games and feel pretty good about it. Like again, at the rim, that's improved a lot mid-range. And he's still pretty young. I mean, he's 22 years old. I know Monty said earlier this year that sometimes it takes guys a little bit longer to figure it out. So I wouldn't be surprised if Kill, if he sustains it this year, he comes back even better next year. All right, we got to touch on just a few real quick and then we'll get to some of the bigger names after the break. Alec Burks, we said, make a home in Detroit and keep being Alec Burks. The problem with Alec Burks right now is he's shooting 7% less from the field. He is shooting 3 or 4% less from three. He just hasn't been as efficient right now, Amari, as he was last season where he was coming off a career year. Yeah, he had a really bad slump that he seems to be coming out of now. I think he had 14 last night. He had 14 against Orlando. And that Orlando game was pretty horrible. I thought the the only silver lining in that game, and even that was like, okay. But Alec Burke seemed to get his shot back. So maybe by the end of the year, we'll see those numbers begin to creep back up. But that really has hurt him too, because he was on fire that first week. And then he just couldn't hit anything after he came back. And that made it even easier for teams to blitz K just when you don't have another guard on the team who can reliably punish teams from outside. So he's still Alec Burks. You know, he's still doing the Alec Burks things. He just kind of went through a slump. So I wouldn't be shocked if by April we could see him get much closer to where he was last season. Isaiah Livers, we said shooting consistency. Isaiah Livers is shooting the worst from three of his career. He shot 42% in 19 games, just 19 games as a rookie. He was 37% last season in 52 games. He's currently shooting 31% through nine games this year. He's shooting the same as a catch-and-shoot guy. I would assume almost all of his are catch-and-shoot. Isaiah Livers has to shoot the ball. If Isaiah Livers wants to be on the floor, he has to shoot the ball, and he has to be a really good team defender. He right now isn't doing that. And so it would be nice to see Isaiah Livers be able to do that. I agree. He like has a pretty solid role in this team. Just go out and hit threes and defend. He's been back for, what, two weeks because he had the ankle sprain before the season. So he missed preseason. He missed training camp. But he missed the start of the year. So could just be getting getting his legs back under him. But uh, yeah, they drafted him to shoot the, the ball. We saw him hit a few shots last night, but they really just do need a guy who can just space the floor and knock down those catch and shoot threes. And uh, the consistency hasn't quite been there yet. So I'm curious to see how that tricks up for him. Uh, but Again, he's one of the few guys on the roster who could just kind of fulfill that 3 and D archetype. So it just doesn't quite hit the same, of course, if you're not fulfilling the three aspect of it. And then last one here real quick. Kevin Knox was just kind of funny because I was talking to Wes beforehand. Who would have thought that we were going to be able to talk about Kevin Knox? And we're not going to sit on this for very long. But, you know, he wasn't on the team to start the year. And then they eventually sign him whenever they just needed a body. And now Kevin Knox is. And to Kevin Knox's credit, he's shooting 43% on 2.6 attempts, 50% on catch and shoot threes. So maybe Kevin Knox should be playing more. But we kind of thought that was interesting that Knox was even able to make the outline based on how the season started. We are going to go to a break here, Amari. When we come back, Isaiah Stewart has been popping in the comments. We will talk about Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran, and try to get to a few other players, but also Troy Weaver and the offseason that we saw last year. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back with segment three. And we're just going to dive right into Isaiah Stewart here. So I feel like Isaiah Stewart has been very controversial this season, wow. like more than usual. Wow. And no, I, just, I was just saying, like, I, I, was not, I was not expecting it. Like, it, yeah. Isaiah Stewart being the guy is, is interesting to me. Yeah. And it's, you know, I think, again, I think it's more so his role that people don't like is not necessarily, like, it's kind of like when people get mad at, like, draft picks for not living up to expectations. And it's like, what's well, on the front office, too? 
evaluate and figure out how to best use that pick, right? Like it's not the guy's fault that got picked where they were. I think with Isaiah, a lot of it is he's not fulfilling what he should be doing at the four. And it's like, well, maybe he's just more comfortable at the five and the four. Like it doesn't mean that he's doing anything wrong per se. You know, it's just that, you know, I think we saw it last night, you know, at, at the five, he gives you that spacing. He can still rebound. He's a solid defender. And I said this a while back on the pod, but I still think he's like the perfect playoff five since he can switch and he can uh, keep the defense on his front three. But, you know, it just seems like a lot of the issues for the team have been pinned on Isaiah Stewart. And maybe he's being asked to do too much, but, you know, I don't think, I think that's more so on the organization than him. But I'm just curious to hear where you are on uh, Isaiah Stewart and our resolution for him was growth as a playmaker and as a leader. Yeah, I mean, I think that first one is one where it just didn't hit. So Tone yeah. says, do they pay y'all to not hold Stu accountable? Rashad says, Stu is a backup power forward center. Yeah. We'll keep saying this over and over again until they figure this out. One, like, I'm a little offended. Anybody would think our takes are based on any sort of pay. Like, yeah. we just get on here and talk with what we think. I, I can prom. You can call out my takes and my opinion. You can think I'm the dumbest dude in the world. I, I'm a little offended to think that you would think that I make comments just for money or something like that. So that's definitely not the case. Isaiah Stewart has not improved as a playmaker. I think in some ways, Omari has regressed a little bit. And that's a little bit disappointing. I also want to say this, though. We've talked a lot about him being a third big and that being his ultimate role. He isn't developing the necessary skills to really play the four. But I want to say this also. That doesn't mean it was a bad idea. I'm okay that the organization was trying to figure that out the last couple of years to see if they could raise the ceiling for what he was as a player. Now, the reason it's so much under the microscope this year, Amari, is it's probably hurting their ability to win games now in a season where they thought they were going to compete and win games. It may be time to cut the cord on that and just say, all right, Stu, you're coming off the bench. You're going to play whatever it want to be, 60-40 at the 5-4, 70-30, 80-20. I'm sure some people would say 100. I think there's matchups where you can play him at the 4. But I'm with you that I think he still can provide value. I think there's defensive. He had some really good possessions against Tyrese Halliburton just last night. He really held up on the perimeter against him. So I still think Stu can be a cog for this team. And I've said it for a while. I think it's as a third big coming off the bench. And he hasn't developed a lot of those necessary skills to really be a four as much as I think we wanted him to be. Yeah, it hasn't quite been there. We still see the turnovers here and there where he catches the ball on the perimeter and you could tell he's thinking through what he should be doing, but he has a tendency to shuffle his feet and turn the ball over. Uh, that's He did that last season. It's still been there this season. He has shot the three pretty well. I mean, he's at 37.5% on 3.8 attempts. So not super high volume, but enough to you know, keep the, the defense honest. Like, I know there's a debate about well, how much he's spacing the floor if teams don't respect the shot and whatnot. But uh, he's doing everything that's been asked of him as far as that. I mean, 37.5% of four attempts is pretty good. But again, uh, you know, I think as a full-time power forward, you're probably taking him away from some of the stuff that he's good at. Like, he's a solid rebounder for his size. He could defend the perimeter, but he can defend the post as well. But you also just give up some stuff with him at the five, even two. He's not really a vertical player. You know, he's not really an interior scorer. And I think along with that, he's been kind of forced to play the four just because of this roster makeup. Because you have Duran, who's at the five. Then you have Bagley, who's a five. Then you have James Wiseman, who's also a five. So the roster was built with basically expectation that Isaiah would develop, keep developing, and he would be the exact four that this team needs. And it kind of turns out that he probably is more of a situational four than a full-time four. Uh, you know, he still is more effective in some ways at the, the the five. So that's not, to me, Stu's fault. That is the organization putting Stu in a position where he's kind of getting away from, you know, some of the things that got him drafted to begin with. And, you know, and that's why, you know, I say I think fans have come down really hard on Isaiah Stewart for some of the things he's not doing, but, a lot of times players just like hard, are who they are. Like, I'm not saying that Isaiah Story has worked extremely hard. Like, I don't say that to rag on him at all. Like, I think he's done everything that's been asked of him. But he's been actually playing an entirely different role compared to college. And he's worked hard on it. He's done everything he can. And I do think he's a power forward, you know, in certain matchups. But the full-time thing, I think, has done some harm as well. And I think the team has given some things up by sticking with those two big lineups. Well, the problem is what you said is yeah. there wasn't a plan B if Stu wasn't able to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's where the issue lies is 
if he isn't able to do it, you got to have somebody that can come in. And maybe we're seeing it now. You've said it. Asar can play the four. I thought Asar looked really good. PD Max says it. It's been so hard finding say something positive about the scene, but Asar in the screen and roll is a good idea and showed promise. I agree. I thought that looked really good last night. So maybe that will end up being the balance, but not having... It seemed like they came into the season with so little margin for error. And then when Monte Morris gets hurt and Boyan is hurt and whatever's going on with Jay Nivey's happening and Stu doesn't develop the game off the balance to play the four, you had no backup plans for all of these situations. They all happen and you get a 20-game losing streak. I think that was another miscalculation of let's throw all of our eggs in the Stu being able to play the four full-time basket and that was a major miscalculation. Just some more stats here. Per 100 possessions, his assists haven't gone up. His turnovers have gone up a little bit. Like it it just there's nowhere I've looked at it and felt like, man, it has really progressed other than I do think the three point shooting looks a little bit better. But as we've talked about, that can be really fruitful at the five position, like him being able to do that at the five actually really spaces the floor. So I feel very comfortable right now in knowing what Isaiah Stewart is. And that is a third big, fourth big, if you really want to be critical of him that can play the five, can play the four when you need him to, is a switchable big. I think he offers defensive versatility. And I think that's eventually going to be very helpful for this team whenever they hopefully sooner rather than later, I don't know when it is, are really winning games and competing. And and that's where I'm at on Isaiah Stewart. Yeah, and along with that, I think like Isaiah shooting threes and Isaiah playing the four have been probably conflated more than they should be. Like Isaiah absolutely from day one should have been developing his three-point shot regardless of position. Like he just offers more value, I think offensively as a floor spacer than as somebody who's scoring near the rim because his rim efficiency has never been there. So I think regardless of position, Isaiah's story three-point experiment has been a success. Uh, I think along with that, you know, I talked about the roster having essentially four centers on it and it kind of forces Monty to play a guy out of position at the four. Uh, I think along with that, you Isaiah is also the only big man who can shoot. So that also, I think, forces you to play him a lot because you can't play Bagley and Durant together. You can't play Wiseman and Durant together. You just can't. Monty hasn't even tried doing those things because it's just very clearly not going to work. So again, these are roster issues that I think Isaiah Stewart unfairly catches flack for because, again, you know, you have to build a roster that can you know, accommodate the scheme and, you know, can accommodate players' strengths and weaknesses. And especially in the front court, I just don't think that that's been the case. All right, we got to keep going because I do want to get to a couple more for sure. We may have to just touch on a couple real quick. Jalen Duran, we said develop a post-up, which I thought was interesting, and then improve ball screen defense. I think we hit that one right on the head. I will say this about Jalen Duran. He has one post move every game where I'm like, ooh, that was nice. Like he has this reverse pivot thing that he goes to. So that, that, that is nice. I don't know that I still believe his post-up game is as important as what maybe we thought at that time. But I will say we've seen his footwork in general in the lane offensively look good and improve this year. So I think we got one there. I don't know that I believe the other one has happened. And I've been critical of Cade's defense. We've been critical of Ivy's defense. I will stay critical of Jalen Duran's defense. I think he doesn't value positioning enough and being in the right position when a ball screen happens. Yet, he's still very young. He's very early in his career. I think he'll get there. I think one of those has improved. I want to see the other one. The other thing is he just, he's been hurt, Omari. Like, I would guess that maybe when we do New Year's resolutions this year for Jalen Dern, it's going to be health and stronger ankles or better ankle braces or whatever we need to say to keep him on the floor. Yeah, he's got to do some yoga or Pilates or something because ankle injuries are pretty worrying. But I agree with you. I think as far as developing a post-up game, he doesn't have like a super diverse post game, but I think it works for him because one, he's just bigger and stronger than a lot of guys. But two... Two, he's pretty balanced, right? Like, you know, he, he doesn't ever seem to really be rocked off of his block much down there. And he's decisive as well. You know, he picks a, a direction. His jump looks pretty solid. I think he's made some pretty solid growth there. And then, yeah, the ball screen defense just hasn't quite been there. Like, it still seems like the game just moves a bit too fast for him on defense at times. And during week one, I actually thought he looked pretty good in that area. And then it 
just kind of got lost. You know, I don't know how much of that is like mobility related if he is having some ankle pain, but there's a lot that can be done as far as recondition as well. All right. Marvin Bagley III was caused more havoc on D and rediscovered 2021 season in success. I've been very adamant on the podcast, on Twitter, that I think Marvin Bagley III has been very good this season. I also want to give a shout out to the person, and, and I'm sorry, like I'm not purposely forgetting, whoever was yelling at us at the start of the season that they needed to add a veteran center I think you're right. Based on injuries and everything that's happened, you're right. Like it probably would have been nice to have a veteran center here to do, or a veteran big somewhere. So, but I think Marvin Bagley has been good this year. I, I don't know. Like it seems like Wiseman continues to get minutes over him here and there, but I'd like Marvin Bagley the third. Yeah. I mean, he's done exactly what's asked of him, which is just come in, rebound. I think his defense has been more energetic. You know, like I still think he can miss reads. I thought, Orlando has some bad moments in the first quarter defensively. Who's their center? Like, his name's slipping me, but he had like 11 points in the first six minutes of the game. For who? The uh, Magic? The Magic, yeah. Batazzi. Yeah, but Batazzi. Like, Batazzi should never have 11 points in like the first six minutes of the game. But I think along with that, Bagley is who he is, right? You know, he played the four in college. In the NBA, he's more of a five because to play the four in the NBA, you've got to be able to shoot or you got to be able to move along the perimeter pretty well. And he doesn't necessarily do either of those things that well. So that kind of puts him more at the five. Uh, Bagley is who he is. He's accepted his role. He hasn't complained. Like, he's given this team a lot of in- energy, I think, and consistency. And this is probably the best version of Bagley we've seen in Detroit so far. Uh, so I would give that to him. I think he's causing more havoc on D and then getting back to 2021. I think he's done those things. All right. Boy on Bogdanovich, keep it up, but maybe with another team. I just want to real quickly hear Amari before we get to Troy Weaver. The He had a career year as well, just like Alec Burks. We're only four games into this thing. The numbers, even as good as he has been, as much as he's helped, they aren't what the numbers were last year. So that'll be interesting. And then obviously there's a decision to be made at the trade deadline. And, you know, if the Pistons keep him and, and what happens with that, I don't know. We'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Let's talk about Troy Weaver. Our New Year's resolution, Amari, was an aggressive offseason. And at the end of the day, that wasn't what we got. And I think we are seeing now the ramifications of that as this start of the season, at least, has gone completely haywire. Yeah, like I keep going back in my mind to that Washington Wizards game at home where it's basically just competing to not be the worst team. And like Kyle Kuzma just absolutely went off. And he was the guy that the Pistons probably could have signed this offseason and didn't. And he comes, I mean, he's a Flint guy, so he comes home and he just, he always lights the Pistons up at the LCA. Like, that's not new. But it kind of just highlighted what the Pistons lacked, right? Like, you watch Kyle Kuzma do that, and it's like, man, the Pistons could really use a Kyle Kuzma or they could really use a Jeremy Grant or just the type of big four who could just really just provide rebounding and offense and even some defense. I don't think Kuzma's a terrible defender. You know, not the most fleet-footed, but he could hold his own in some matchups. So, to me, that just summed it up right there. You know, I think a lot of this season just banked on internal development and health. And those things haven't happened to the extent that's allowed the team to make a leap. I mean, of course, they're on track to win like seven or eight games. So clearly something went wrong somewhere. And it really is just really bad luck that Monte Morris has been hurt. Because I do think just him as a, a floor spacer, take care of the boss, somebody who can keep the team calm and under control would have went a long way. Like, not quite Chris Paul, but playing that role of just being, like, the adult on the floor. You know, for lack of a better word, I think that would have helped a lot. And they have it hat, Monte. And then Joe Harris, I mean, one of the greatest shooters in NBA history, but he just has not been there at all this season. And they played a little bit when he came back against Orlando, but he didn't play at all last night. You know, so I don't know if he's going to have a role for this team, you know, this season to the extent that they need him to have him just knock down shots. Uh, so, yeah, you look at the team's 20-game losing streak and you look at the way the team approached the offseason and it's like, well, clearly they needed to do more than just preserve their cap space because whatever they banked on happening this season from just an internal development standpoint has not happened because or else you would not be on a 20-game losing streak, of course. Yeah, I mean, I thought this was interesting because, like, we'll admit it. Again, like, we'll take our own L's here, Amari. We were overly critical of the offseason when it happened. And in fairness, everybody... I had a lot of people tell me how many games the Pistons were going to win this season. So like, obviously there were some other people who thought this offseason was okay as well because there were a lot of people talking play-in game, 35, 40 wins, that type of stuff. But we were obviously wrong. And 
I feel like maybe we forgot what we were wanting at the New Year's resolution episode by the time we got to the offseason because obviously we wanted Troy Weaver to be aggressive. I just think they missed out. I'm, let me ask you this, Amari. I feel like this team needed a really quality starter bucket getter signing or trade for or whatever. I feel like I see a lot of other people thinking multiple role players. What do you think would have been better? Like, where would you stand on that if I said it was like one $25 million signing, like Kyle Kuzma, say, or somebody like two or three guys at $10 million to give more depth? I, I land in the, this team needed one more quality starter, at least. Not necessarily like this, you know, role player depth thing. Where, where are you at? Which do you think would have been better? Yeah, I I think I'm there too. Uh, just getting one guy who's a really solid starter and could just take some more of the scoring load off of the other guys. So now Kate is a one slash two and now Bogey's a two slash three. Uh, you're not putting pressure on Ivy to make a big leap as a scorer in his next season. Yeah, like every time I watch this scene, it's like they are just like that toolsy power forward who can really like put points up or just accomplish a lot of rows from being a, a pretty somewhat decent team. We only predicted, what, like 20, like 30 games? Like 30 games. And I know the margin between 30 and 20 could be pretty slim, especially for a young team. But yeah, I mean, as far as just where the talent roster, the talent level was for this roster and being able to compete, I think they very clearly miscalculated. Despite the injuries, despite all that, it's just... They clearly need something more than what they got over the offseason. Well, and that's the thing. Like, even if Monty was playing, even if Boyan was playing, like, I still think it would be a miscalculation. Because even if those guys... I think where I'm at, Omari, is if Boyan was healthy, if Monty was healthy, if Ivy was playing 30 minutes a night from day one, this team wouldn't have two wins and be on a 20-game losing streak. But I don't know that they would be on track for 30 wins or yeah. what a lot of us wanted. So there, my point is... I use, everybody says, oh, you can't use that stuff as an excuse. Like, fine, whatever. If you don't want to, that's cool. I use those as an example of that at least makes this team competent. It lets us evaluate Cade and who he is as a player. It lets us evaluate Jalen Duran, Asar. It doesn't put too much on these guys' plate. I still think we'd be sitting here with maybe seven, eight wins, nine wins, and then we would be going okay, well, this still isn't what we thought it was. They still mismanaged the offseason. They still should have used 20, 25 of that million dollars on a guy who really could come in and score the ball. And then at the end of the day, you, you had to be able to see that, that Boyan was 34, Burks was 32. Those guys are coming off career years. We're evaluating them off those seasons, Omari. And we probably were crazy to expect they would even come close to that at this point in their careers. And so... I know we've talked about it a lot. This is probably needs to be the last time we do it. They completely mismanaged it. I think it would be better if everybody was healthy, but you got to be able to play those things in the cards. You got to have plan B, plan C, and those things as well. And none of those things were in place. And that's why they're 2-21 and 21 with a 20-game losing streak. No, absolutely. I mean, again, whatever timeline, you know, they expected this team would have just from a readiness standpoint. You know, they probably misjudged by a good year. You know, part of me wonders if Cade were healthy last year, if they would have been more aggressive this offseason, right? You know, like maybe they looked at it and, you know, some of it was probably just wanting to get a full year of Cade, you know, just to see exactly where... What, what you need to get for him, right? You know, see how he develops, see how he returns and whatnot. And I understand that but there's still a middle ground they could have found. Like, you could still improve the roster and not make that big splash if you want. If it was like two 15 million guys, that would still be a huge help for this team, right? If it was three 10 million guys, that would still be a huge help for this team. So, yeah, just a lot of, I think, compounding errors that have brought us to this point. And, you know, I think going forward, they should probably be more flexible as far as not necessarily pitting guys into roles that they haven't shown that they could do yet, right? I think they put a lot of confidence in the guys that they've had. You know, you've had confidence in Bogey coming back at 34 and still doing what he did last season. You had confidence in Burks coming back at 32 and doing what he did last season. You know, just a lot of confidence that hasn't necessarily worked out for this team long, long term. And like, there's always a debate, well, should they have traded those guys last season, this or that? I mean, you know, I think you can have that debate all night, but this team just isn't where they thought it would be clearly. And I'll be curious to see 
how things change leading up to the trade deadline and if they try to speed some things up. Well, if you wanted to keep the flexibility, I always go back to what our friend Keith Smith says. You can't have a bad one-year contract. And by no means is this a bad contract. The Pistons should have done, if they could have, and we never know. Like, it's really easy for us to say they should have signed Kyle Kuzma. Well, just because Kyle Kuzma has ties back to Michigan doesn't mean he wants to play for the Pistons. Maybe he does. Maybe you know that for a fact. I don't know that. But I think the Pistons should have done something similar to what the Pacers did with Bruce Brown. Maybe not necessarily Bruce Brown, but Bruce Brown got the bag, but that is a team option on year two. And I would have loved to see them do that with a player. Even if it's an overpay, got somebody in that was a forward, as somebody brought up in the chat earlier. Doesn't seem like we have any good forwards in this league and or we don't have any in a league that you need good forwards and a guy that can really score the ball. We've got a little bit negative here, Omari, at the end. Let's flip it back positive from old friend Doug McMiniman. Hey, guys, congrats on 100. I think I've made 95 of them. Good for an A-. minus. Doug, I don't know where you went to college, but it must have been like a very academic school because where I come from, a 95 is a straight A. Like you got to be down at like 91, 92 to be an A-. minus. Am I off here, Omari? What, no, what's that's going a, on? That's a solid A. And Doug, like I'm a pretty lenient grader. I give you an A+, plus, man. I give you an A+. Plus. Yeah, that, that, that's what I'm saying. Like A plus for 95 out of 100. We, Doug, I'm going to call you out a little bit here. We haven't done 100 live episodes though. Maybe you're just talking about the podcast version, but we get some Kelly Oubre comments in here as well. So yeah, Kelly Oubre would be another guy. Anyway, Amari, 100 episodes. It's been a blast, my guy. Here's to 100 more. Wes, Robin, Anjanette, Kirk, everybody at the Free Press, all of our listeners, Everybody that tunes in, whether you agree with us, love us, hate us, like our takes, not whatever. I know there's all sorts of you out there on both sides. Mm -hmm. We hear you on Twitter. We see you in our DMs. We see you in the comments. We appreciate you either way because the one thing that is true, if you didn't turn in and listen, then we wouldn't have a podcast. So that is facts right there. Amari, well, let me go. Wes, thank you for everything. I appreciate you. I wish I could tell the story of how this all happened. I actually told someone the other day, like, how did Wes even become part of this? I just, just, it's a crazy thing. And then Omari, man, like you are truly a friend, somebody I appreciate that goes beyond the podcast. Both of you guys, I thank you so much for believing in this. Thank you so much. Oh, look, it's been a blast to 100 more and I will close this out. A big thanks to our audio producer, Robin Chan, our editor-in-chief, Nicole Avery Nichols, our executive producer, Anjanette Delgado, and our sports editor, Kirkland Crawford. And a big shout out to Wes, as always. And we will talk to you all later. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.